Welcome everybody to episode two of Socially Social Distancing the Church. I'm here with Terry Faw, the chaplain of Ambrose. And so, yeah, thank you, Terry, for joining us today. And I'll start with introducing Terry and what he does. Um, so as mentioned, he's a chaplain at Ambrose University. Um, so that's an all-encompassing role with spiritual development and um, planning and organizing chapels. And for context, my relationship with Terry, I worked with Terry by doing tech this past year, um, both in the regular formats before COVID and then especially so in transitioning to an online format. Um, and so, well, is there anything else you want to add there, Terry? Uh, no, just that, uh, it's been a pleasure to work with you, Brandon, this past year. And, uh, obviously we, uh, had the experience of adapting and becoming very agile in our use of technology <laughs> since March. <laughs> yep. It was definitely a learning experience. Um, so... I'll go into the first question. Um, how did you transition to not being able to hold services in person? So we realized with classes going all online, we had to switch to chapels online as well. Um, so I'll address the tech side in a moment. But first, what did it look like on your end for the planning? Well, I think the first obvious uh, aspect that affected our planning was that we decided to close our campus and uh, that meant that chapels as usual ceased to happen where we gathered uh, you know many of us in one physical space as did a, a band and uh, the people involved uh, so that that ended in a hurry um, I think the other transition was simply that uh, uh, people who were planning to be involved, uh, worship music teams uh, no longer met. Uh, they didn't have a reason to prepare songs. So um, I think the transition was that as soon as we knew we had to do physical distancing, uh, we began to think about what does it look like to uh, go online with a, a chapel service. Yeah, and then like, I'll speak on the tech side. It was very much, we didn't really have much infrastructure to stream. So it was figuring out how do we stream? How do we get good audio? Because very much the approach I took was you need good audio. If your video is bad, people will make do. But if the audio is bad, then people are very much going to leave. And so we figured out one of the soundboards we had, it had a USB port. So audio wasn't a huge deal, but getting song lyrics up, we had to use older computers because um, that's what our Pro presenter was on. But a big benefit we had was an IT department where I could ask, hey, do you have this hardware laying around? And 
they did and so I requested a monitor and some cables and they were able to supply that so Ambos while they had nothing for streaming you could assemble hardware and we had the hardware on hand which helped us a lot and so yeah we ended up streaming off a computer we took a soundboard output and then we streamed on YouTube and learned how to stream but it was a relatively simple setup but worked quite well mm -hmm. um, so as already mentioned we weren't really set up for streaming so we had we didn't have an online presence in um, in the chapel department, but Ambos had a YouTube channel and enrollment used it heavily. So we had an established YouTube channel, which helped us a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. We uh, were in a position where we weren't doing any uh, live streaming. We uh, had very little infrastructure for uh, recording and live streaming chapel-like events and uh, suddenly we had to hustle and get moving. Yeah, and that was also extra hard because it's the end of the semester, so it was... Yeah. I probably dedicated four hours a week where I had the laptop and I sat it on my desk in my dorm room and I was just testing streaming as I was doing homework because that's what had to be done because we were, we were on a time crunch. Yeah, that's right. So my next question is, what aspects of online services do you enjoy? Because there is some benefits that we can do in an online format that a physical format can be restricted. So is there any aspects that you enjoy? Yeah, I mean, it'd be easy to talk about the drawbacks and the disappointments of uh, no longer being able to meet in person. but. Uh, a couple of things that, you know, when we first went to some Mar in, in March, we completed the term and we, uh, what we did was we tried to incorporate some of the uh, parts of our chapel worship that we normally would have done. Um, but one of the opportunities going online gave us was to cut to the chase, as it were, to bring focus, to, uh, you know, decide what was essential and what wasn't, what was important and what wasn't. And, uh, you know, cutting the extraneous bits out, I think really helped us uh, get to, a, a, you know, more quality and less quantity. So uh, that's what we did. I, I, I like that experience of deciding, you know, what do we really need to do here? So that, you know, we weren't having a revolving door, not too many people involved, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and then there was something you probably didn't see on your end, but I was definitely seeing on my end was YouTube analytics, right? Um, so I could see what sections of the service were people leaving at. Well, you can do that in a physical service when, for Ambos Chapels, I'm standing at the back of the room, I see people physically walk in and out at certain parts, but on a live stream or even just a pre-recorded thing on YouTube, I could see, hmm, this part of service is the parts we are losing people on. And so 
that was another interesting thing and so it's like maybe we rearrange it differently and stuff like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and even just um streaming versus pre-recorded because we were looking at our streaming analytics and our pre-recorded analytics and mm-hmm. those that we streamed we did better on Um, what adaptions to your service did you make to switching to an online format? Um, so there's a phrase, the medium is the message. And this means that some changes would have to be made when transitioning from in-person services to online services. What changes did you decide to make and what changes were made for you because they did not work? Yeah, well, I, I already mentioned that, you know, uh, with the physical distancing uh, uh, circumstances, uh, we also uh, we cut down the number of people involved. And uh, we also uh, shortened everything up and uh, you know, anticipating that students, for example, and, and perhaps not just students, probably anybody uh, anywhere was spending a lot more time online. And then to say, well, here, spend some more time online being part of chapel, uh, the chapel worship. Um, we just decided we're not going to go as long as we normally would. And so we, uh, you know, that was one obvious adaptation. We also uh, adapted partway through, in my recollection, in March. We started by uh, pre-recording a chapel. But because of some of the limitations of that, it required some post-production time. And if you don't have time to do post-production and tidy things up and make them look pretty, um, you get a pretty rough uh, production. (laughs) So then we switched and tried just going live, just a live stream, no no pre-recorded. And, you know, I think there was something about that that was good. It was kind of raw and real and authentic, but it also had limitations. So, you know, I think in terms of adaptations, we were learning as we went along. Um, yeah, I, I think another thing, um, yeah, maybe I'll stop there, but, you know, I could keep talking about um, some of the, the things we found ineffective as well. Um, you know, for, for one thing, it's very easy, I think, if you're pre-recording to uh, put together segments, kind of like stitching something together. And if they're all, if, if there's a sense there that they're disconnected or unconnected segments, you get a really fragmented experience. So linkages are really important. That's one adaptation I think we made and we got better at. We, we, as we were doing everything remotely after a while, where we weren't even meeting on the campus in our uh, the set we designed or, or put together for uh, pre-recording. We had uh, you doing the production and it was all um, remotely done. So we had to think through what kinds of transitions will happen in each piece. So what's coming next and who will be doing what next and what exactly would be the content of what they were doing. Um, So those little details, I think we learned were important and it helped the quality of the experience of those who participated and viewed online. You know, one other adaptation I would say 
is just getting used to peering into a screen and pretending you're looking at people. And I think for those of us who are used to getting up in front of people and making eye contact and kind of read the room a little bit and, and feel uh, the moment and choose our words accordingly, uh, you're, you don't have that. You don't have that kind of respo audience response. So you just kind of need to uh, set your course and be as animated as you can online and look engaged and, uh, and do your best. Yeah, and like pre-recording, it's just when we switch to streaming, people are more forgiving on a live stream. Mm, Whereas yeah. like with the pre-recording, when Connor did that first chapel, um, and edited that he did a good job but just maintaining that through as the semester got busier was just going to be tighter yeah um, and then um, sorry just looking at my notes um, what insights from this experience did you learn everybody's learning more through COVID um, and how it's impacting spirituality. Some people are like finding it as a time that they're growing closer, others a time and distance. But we're just kind of, I'm finding people are thinking more about spirituality more. And so what insights have you learned in response to COVID? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of dimensions to that question, I think. Um, you know, uh, people are different and uh, you know uh, people respond differently to uh, the uh, missed opportunity to gather with a, a community in person to worship uh, and others I think probably found it easier to to uh, worship online but I think uh, some of the things I noticed um, well yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to maybe just leave it there. <laughs> I think uh, uh, people were in distress for all kinds of reasons. Uh, I think one of my recollections is that, you know, as the campus suddenly closed, there was a real a feeling of distress. Um, panic is probably too, too strong a word. But, um, you know, I felt so badly when we had to ask students to leave our residences for example, uh, in four days. Um, uh, suddenly there was a migration to delivering course content online. And so I think, um, you know, one of the insights I think we learned was that providing as much uh, of the regular experience of student life or Ambrose life as we could was important. And doing those online chapels, it took a lot of work because we didn't have infrastructure set up. We had no place to record. We didn't have equipment um, to do what we wanted to do. So just uh, providing something brought a lot of comfort to people in a time of real upheaval and uh, anxiety. And then you were talking about this a uh, bit before, but you were talking about how churches are viewing like the elements and spirituality in yeah. COVID as well. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, um, you know, 
gathering for worship, whether it's on Sundays in a local church or in chapels during the week uh, at Ambrose, it's, a, it's an embodied event. It's a physical event. And um, uh, being with other people is part of the deal. And uh, it was very interesting to, uh, for me to watch how many churches quickly tried to replicate just about every aspect worship together in person experience online. Um, and uh, in some ways, I found that a bit curious, for example, and I don't want to sound like I'm being critical. I, I'm not. I, I, I understand why uh, there was a, a movement towards uh, making sure communion could happen, the Eucharist. And many churches, and in some, somewhat ironically, many evangelical churches quickly uh, began to do communion remotely. Um, and I say a bit ironically because, um, you know, many evangelical churches aren't as sacramentally inclined in their worship as, say, mainline or more historic denominations are. Uh, and ironically, those mainline sacramental traditions actually stopped doing the Eucharist and said, we can't do this anymore. So I, I think that was is kind of an interesting moment to pause and ask ourselves some questions. Um, the Eucharist, theologically, is word and sacrament. Uh, Christ is present in word and sacrament in Christian worship. So to, to you know, suddenly uh, feel like somehow we have to offer the Eucharist in any circumstance, including pandemic isolation circumstances, uh, I'm not so sure that was absolutely necessary. Um, the loss of gathering for communion together, where we share the bread and share the cup, that is a real loss. I don't want to minimize that for a second. There's no doubt about it. And I think many people felt that if they could just somehow replicate communion, we could uh, mitigate some of that feeling of, of loss and isolation. But, um, you know, my, my thought would be uh, that the, the fact that we would be separated doesn't minimize any less that we are the, still the body of Christ. Um, baptism forms uh, our identity in Christ as part of the church. And that didn't change and hasn't changed. Um, you know, so there's several other things. I mean, the God's converting work in us is a conversion or a transformation of our desires and our loves. And, uh, you know, my question would be, couldn't we use this desire to share bread and cup together uh, and acknowledge it as something we can't do? Could this be used as a motivation for prayer? Um, an opportunity to cultivate our longing uh, for, for God and for fellowship. And could we sit with that longing? Could that, you know, I guess I'm saying, couldn't we take the loss of this gathering for Eucharist to be um, something that, uh, an opportunity to meet God in that place of longing and a place of bereftness? 
Um, yeah, and, and maybe a final point of that would be that the point of communion isn't the change of the elements, say from bread and wine to the body and blood of Christ. It's really about a change in us. And I think God is able to change us, you know, <laughs> through the word and through the spirit uh, without the bread and the cup. So um, I, I kind of feel like maybe there was a lost, op there has been a lost opportunity in some sense, instead of uh, scrambling to figure out how we can uh, make life exactly as it was before the pandemic isolation. Um, I'm wondering if there's also a side to this where we couldn't say, this is a real loss. Um, the body of Christ is not gathering, uh, but in this uh, time of loss and separation uh, and fasting from the Eucharist, uh, could there not be an opportunity to meet God, to, to grow and, and pray and uh, be edified by the Spirit? Oh, let me mention one other thing uh, in terms of uh, the spirituality of this pandemic uh circumstance in the church or for Christians in general. Another thing I think that has been a profound sort of spiritual opportunity for awakening is uh, simply that we've gotten, a, 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 for some of us, a much better picture of how our privilege um, gives us an advantage, that privilege really does matter in, in our world and in the circumstances of life. Um, for example, we, we now know that, um, you know, certain groups of people are far more vulnerable to uh, a disease like COVID-19 because of their uh, education or their socioeconomic uh, or their racialized status. Um, another, another thing that I've observed about these past three months is simply that um, uh, these circumstances have kind of provided what I would call an apocalyptic moment. And I don't mean apocalyptic in the sense of, you know, things about the end of the world or how the world will end. I mean, apocalyptic in the biblical genre sense, the sense that here are some uh, images uh, that help us see through the, uh, the facade or the deception of the empire. Um, and uh, for example, one of the things we're now seeing much more clearly that we may not have seen otherwise is simply that, um, you know, we've seen, we're seeing through the spin of, uh, uh, you know, our approach to long-term care and how that's done. And what we, what has been hidden from us is now being revealed. There's been an an apocalyptic unmasking of things as they are, not as the way, you know, other uh, interested parties would like us to think they are. Uh, so, you know, I mean, the church cannot avoid um, some of the things we've been seeing, some of the injustice, the inequity. Uh, think of something like the mass production of our food and the fact that it's driven by, you know, a, a, a kind of a principle of capitalism that get things down to their lowest possible price. And if that's your bottom line, then it's going to affect relationships, human relationships at every, uh, uh, 
at every level. You're going to get a situation where the way animals or livestock are treated uh, and mass produced, where we don't know where they come from or how they're treated or how long they live. Uh, to keep the cost down, we need to process 6,000 head of cattle a day in a plant where people are paid, you know, questionable wages. In fact, they're doing jobs that Canadians won't do or and so we need to bring in temporary foreign workers to, to do them. I mean, these are things that have been exposed to us. And uh, I think it's an it's an opportunity. It, it's and it's spiritual because it speaks to our questions about what kind of uh, life, uh, what kinds of uh, social circumstances, what kind of relationships uh, lead to shalom and flourishing and uh, honoring God and his creation. I know that's a long-winded answer, but I, I do think that um, if, if we'd have the patience, and, and I know that, that the pandemic circumstances have affected you know, churches and communities and, and educational institutions like Ambrose, but if we could um, also uh, be open to what we could learn in these kinds of distressing, uh, you know, uh, dis discombobulating circumstances. Um, I think there's some spiritual richness there for us and for the church, for Christians. Yeah, um, going back to your communion thing, I think that is a very interesting point is what would it have looked like if churches just kind of withheld it for a bit? Because I remember back in probably April, early April, when I was still in dorms, um, I was watching my church stream, and then they were like, it's now communion. And I'm like, I don't have anything because I'm in a dorm room. So I ended up with like orange juice and like a, a more like crispy cracker. And I'm like, it just wasn't the same. And so I think instead of trying to emulate and fail, having more, um, just kind of a more longing forward to it. And then if they withheld, just doing it in person would become so much more impactful that I think sometimes churches were like, we need to recreate everything that we did instead of being like we're in a new medium what can we do now yeah and i don't want to I, I don't want to sound being like i'm being critical of those churches that have chosen to uh celebrate eucharist to do communion and to have people remotely uh, share bread and, and and cup but you know, again, I, I think you make a good point. Um, how could uh, that that experience of loss and desire and yearning also become an opportunity? That's all. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of those things where there was no good decisions, and people were forced to make decisions really quickly. So. Even something like Ambo's deciding to close down the campuses and then close down dorms. Was that mm -hmm. the best decision? Maybe not. Was there a better decision? Maybe not. Right? Like it was 
there's no good decisions really it's and so doing something like communion in an online format it's really hard to tell because all decisions right now there's just not fantastic choices yeah um so how do you see moving on how do you see the future of technology in worship going forward so there's been a heavier reliance on tech in these times and so how do you see tech being integrated into our services going forward integrated well i'm probably the wrong person to ask i i uh you know i'm i'm I think technology should be a servant and not a master. Um, and uh, I, I think in each context, you try and be sensitive to the ways it can help you, um, how it can serve the, uh, the cause of your particular worship context. And you may be in a situation where it really uh, using technology in a certain way really enhances the, the community, uh, the dissemination of information, communication, uh, and ultimately uh, worship. Um, but I, I think uh, one thing that's going to change for sure is that, uh, well, hopefully tech people are going to get paid more money because people are going to realize how valuable they are. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, some of us who weren't really ready and weren't, you know, already doing some streaming we discovered quickly where our um, weak spots were um, I think also that uh, you know in some senses tech uh, worship can be a place where you can be freed of some of the ways technology uh, exerts uh, hegemony over life and uh, and so you know I, I think for some, they'll, they'll decide that, you know, it's just a good thing that we're together. We'll, we'll never take being together in person for granted again, to share bread and cup, to uh, sing, to pray uh, together, to look at, at each other. So um, I think those are some of the ways that we'll go forward. Yeah, and like, it's going to be interesting because I know even we had this conversation back in like December with do we have our clocks in our gym on or off and I had conversations with people in dorms who attended chapel regularly where some were like yes I like having that all the clocks turned off and then it's just a mm -hmm. removal of distractions and in a sense text kind of the same thing where it's yeah. the low tech aspects of services will be nice for people mm -hmm. but then there was also the other aspect where people were like no i enjoyed having it on so yeah i think having that polarization will continue ha happening mm -hmm. similar discussions have gone on as you mentioned in the uh, previously another one would be the use of powerpoint for example um, you know, in a, in a homily that's 10 or 12 minutes long, do you really need eight PowerPoint slides? Um, some people say, no, that's, uh, you could dispense with that. Um, uh, what's another example? I uh, post putting, putting the scripture 
on, on a slide. You know, uh, some people are purists. They think that, you know, scripture was originally proclaimed. It was, it was written to be heard or it was originally heard before it was written down. Therefore, uh, it's the experience of hearing the word is not the same as reading the word. <laughs> yeah, and then there's people like me where I'm a very much a visual learner. So having yeah. all the tech that gives us more visuals is something that helps me. So mm -hmm. there's going to be, I'm curious to see where churches, how churches continue to integrate technology. And yeah what the reception is going to be because there's going to be some churches that are like we have this infrastructure let's keep it set up let's keep on using yeah. it yeah. and then there's some that just want to go back to the way it was yeah um so that's kind of the end of the questions I have. Um, oh wait, I got one more. Um, how do you think worship services will look going forward? Because um, I've seen many churches, they're redoing their liturgies. They're realizing, oh, this part doesn't work and they're removing aspects from their liturgies. They're adding new aspects. And so service avoiders have changed in an online format so how do you see or how do you predict worship services will be like going forward well uh, you know it's hard for me to say i i do think in my own experiences and i've already mentioned this i think it's been an opportunity to sort of ask yourself what's essential and how is it how are those essential bits uh, if you form that as the core of your corporate worship, um, you know, maybe there's some things we've been doing that are really distractions or unnecessary, or they could be done, you know, we're, we're getting by without them and, uh, and maybe we should never bring them back. <laughs> or uh, maybe some of the things we can't do online, we really now see how valuable they are and that they're greatly missed and so we'll 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 see them as having an importance and a and a, a role in our worship that uh will highlight and treat treat um more seriously going forward so i suspect there'll be a variety of those kinds of responses um i've i've always been a believer that you know probably less is more and, and i don't mean just time I mean talking. Um, you know, I think we are part of a, a culture that tries to fill up every space with noise, where somebody's got to be talking, or there's got to be music. And uh, I think carefully create uh, curated times of silence, reflection, take courage for leaders and planners to do this, but, um, you know, shorten things up instead of, uh, you know, uh, trying to connect all the dots, leave some of them un, unconnected, and you can come back to that. Um, so, you know, there's a creative, a lot of, probably a lot of creative juices have been uh, flowing during this time for worship planners. 
Yeah, and like that's the one thing I've kind of been noticing is services are being more efficient and shorter in this time of COVID. Mm-hmm. Like it's, they've been less, we got to fill this time and it's more just, we're getting to the point and there's, there's more intentionality in how our services have been structured recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, I was thinking of this uh, the other day, one of our spring term chapels, I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, you know, it's a little awkward, you close your eyes, let's pray. I just thought, you know, this is the time when a, a, a litany type prayer or a responsive prayer where we all pray together and uh, to give people something to say in response as part of the praying. So I think prayers of the people, that, that's a, a really great opportunity to invite people. Even if you put up some words, uh, a simple response, um, it, it can be a way to connect people, make them feel that they're part of these prayers uh, being lifted to God. Yeah, and the interesting thing is like, when I saw you do that in editing it, I was like, oh, I have to edit words onto the screen now. But I was also thinking, this is a really smart idea because it's more engaging and while it may be awkward to speak words to your screen, even if you're just mentally joining mm-hmm. in on it, it just it adds more engagement and I think mm-hmm. having yep. something more interactive is good because there's at least for me i end up watching services on a dual screen computer so if a part's getting a bit less engaging well i can do something on the other screen and so having something that actively engages you is beneficial yeah Yeah, absolutely And and i you know it's going to be interesting going forward if uh I'm not sure what the chapels this fall at Ambrose are going to look like yet, but um, I think there's a challenge with music as well. If you, you know, I think if there's going to be an opportunity to, to look more carefully at the words we sing and how we invite people into this awkward space of, you know, would you like to sing along or would you like to hum along or would you like to sing along with us from where you are, maybe in the, uh, the privacy of your home. Um, but to, to somehow make that invitation uh, plausible and meaningful. And uh, I've, I've watched some online productions of the music part of a worship service where there's been an opportunity to talk more about the song that's going to be sung. Um, this song comes from here. When this person wrote it, this is what they were referring to. And here's some scripture that it actually refers to. So some of those curational bits that we will sometimes add, and I think they're good to add in live, uh, in-person worship, they may become even more important as we try and engage engage people uh, to participate in them online. Yeah. Because, like, even those curation bits, they're Ambrose said a song. I can, yes, and amen. That's the song. 
people were like, that's really sloppy writing. And in one, and I heard people who were annoyed with that song. And then somebody, as they introduced the song, they were like, hey, it's pulling from this verse. And <laughs> yeah. the people were like, oh, this I'm glad you mentioned different. it. I wrote that piece. I wrote that bit. I, I even looked at that song and I thought, you know what? That, you know, it needs, and I think a lot of contemporary Christian music needs, it, it, it doesn't need to have a deep theology. Um, and as, as you know, you know, sometimes the songs are meant to be more emotive kinds of expression of praise. Maybe the words are sung mantra-like as prayers repetitively, and I'm okay with that. But sometimes the phrases uh, are biblical, and it's good to draw that out. Um, it's good. It's just good to always help people into a more meaningful experience of worship, whether it's a prayer, a song, uh, or uh, hearing the word. Yeah. So um, that's kind of all I have. Um, is there a way that people? could contact you if they want to continue this conversation absolutely and they can email me okay uh t is in toronto <laughs> f-a-c-h my name t-f-a-c-h at ambrose.edu got and then i'll just put in the uh, that on the screen um and then also I'll link in the chapel playlist from Ambrose so that people can see what you have done in creating an online format and just get a feel for that. Um, thank you so much, Terry, for joining me today. You're very welcome. And it was a pleasure to uh, participate in this very interesting conversation in these interesting times. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Brandon. You're welcome. Thank you again, Terry, for joining me today. You had some great insights into how the church has responded and the theology behind the responses. I found it quite interesting. Um, yeah, I also want to thank Odom for providing music for my intro. I'm greatly appreciative of that. I have Odom for episode three, which will be an insightful conversation into what worship leading has been like at First Alliance Church in Calgary as he is a music associate there. Um, so yeah, great to have Odom on for episode three. He'll have some great insights and I hope you join me on episode three. I also want to thank my viewers for listening so far. Um, it's great that you're interested in this conversation as I feel like there's a lot of important things being said in this podcast. Um, I'm still very much learning as I go and if you have some feedback, please let me know in the comments. Um, it helps me out as I'm learning this new medium and trying to figure out the technology of it and how to record everything well. So feedback is greatly appreciated. 
and thank you for joining me. Goodbye.